0: This is The One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. Everyone feels like they have too much to do and not enough time. And that's a problem because it leads to us spending our time instead of investing it. Maybe you're the type of person who knows what it feels like that when you look at your digital calendar, it almost seems like a game of Tetris appointment after appointment just stacked together that you find yourself looking for space to hit the restroom or grab a bite to eat. And while you're busy, you look up at the end of the day questioning what you might have actually gotten done. I personally know what that feels like. And I also know what it feels like to get away from that. And that's what the one thing is all about. It's about a surprisingly simple system that allows you to go from being busy being productive so that you accomplish the things that matter most, both professionally and personally. And that's why we're having the conversation with the person we're having a conversation with today. I've been in relationship with her for over six years. Um, she's a very well-known author, and she just published a brand new book called The Long Game. And it is so aligned with the one thing because we have this idea that the path to getting everything you want starts by getting one thing at a time. And this means you have to think big. You cast a big vision for your life and you start by going small. Identifying those two inch little dominoes that if you just knock them down, all the other dominoes will fall. The problem is we are so busy that we don't have the time to identify what that one thing is or feel like we have the time to knock that domino down. In today's episode, we're gonna walk you through what does it mean to play the long game? We're gonna walk you through how you start playing it by creating more white space, some simple tools to help you start to say no to the things that just don't matter as much in the moment. Our hope is that by the end of this episode, you can identify one thing you can do, that if you do that, would make everything else easier or unnecessary so that this is an investment of your time. For those of you, if you are leaders in organizations, Your team feels this way. Your team feels like they have too much to do and not enough time. And it comes down to you casting a shadow, helping them understand what the priorities of the organization are and how what they do every single day lines up with that vision. If you would like to have a conversation about a simple way to make that happen in your organization, head on over to theonething.com. That's the number one in the URL, theonething.com, and you can request a consultation. We'd be happy to engage with you. With that, let's get into this conversation with the author of the brand new book, The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World, Dory Clark.
1: I feel really fortunate because I get the opportunity to work with so many amazing people in our community, and our customers, and get to be a part of their world. And they trust me with being a part of their goals. And more often than not, almost everyone is focused on health. And at the core of that is diet and eating a balanced diet. But eating this kind of diet, it's a huge time commitment and it's easy to get knocked off track. That's why it's so great to have a solution when you don't have the time to do the prepping and the cooking and the cleanup, but you still wanna eat healthy. That's why we partner with Factor. And Factor is chef-created, dietitian approved meals that are ready to go in just two minutes. With Factor, there's no prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. The variety of different options and meals that they have is really impressive, but go see for yourself. Head to factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150 to get 50% off. That's code 150 at factormeals.com. /150 to get 50% off. You're somebody I have a tremendous amount of respect
0: for and your new book The Long Game I think is very relevant right now because every team, every person feels like they have too much to do and not enough time. And the waste it just amplifies when you look across the entire team and The sad part is if people aren't clear on what actually matters, those things that they have to do for the long game, if they're not clear on those things, they end up just working long and hard and sacrificing their personal lives. And so for us as a business, it's always been about how do we give people a simple way to get clarity on what matters most and achieve extraordinary results, personally and professionally. And I think your book is super, super aligned with that. So Dory Clark, welcome.
2: Jeff Woods, thank you so much. Always a treat, my man. And the fact that
0: you live in New York City and have access to Levain's Cookies is just...
2: Makes all the extra taxes worthwhile. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a funny reply. That was good. So what was going
0: on in your life that made you look up and realize, holy smokes, not only is there a book here, but I actually have to write it because that's a major
2: endeavor. It is it was I guess it was an endeavor made slightly easier by the fact that I signed the the contract for the book uh on February 28th 2020 so I didn't really have a lot else going on the rest of that year but uh but nonetheless um what made me want to write this book I actually start out the long game with a, an anecdote about waking uh, just a, really it was a typical day but it was A day that struck me where I realized, wait, why? Why am I doing this? And I think a lot of us have had it. I had a 5.30 a.m. flight that I had to catch to California. And I set my alarm, of course, for 3.30 in the morning. And I had all of my clothes laid out on the dresser and I'm rushing to get to the, the airport and everything's pitch dark. And I was flying to California so I could arrive first thing in the morning, work a full work day. Have a second work day and you know have dinner with clients and then fly straight to Atlanta for more meetings. And I realized, you know, I could I could do it. I did do it uh, that trip. At least things didn't go wrong. All the flights were on time. But at a certain point, you realize that's that's not really a way to live over the long term. And I realized that for myself, and I think a lot of people we're trying to stuff 110% of things into 100% of the time. And we have to get better about making smart choices about our priorities and about how we are doing them. Because if we want to play the long game, we can't keep up. I mean, of course, right? There's sprints, there's always sprints, but we can't keep up with unsustainable practices over the long term. And so I really wanted to begin to think about how to reevaluate things. Mm -hmm,
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And give people a sense of what you do professionally outside of just writing
2: books. So I do some teaching. I teach for the Duke University Fuqua School of Business and Columbia Business School. Uh, pre COVID, I used to travel a lot for talks. Uh, now, now I give a lot of virtual talks. So I hang out on Zoom quite a bit. Uh, I do a lot with, uh, with online learning as well, my own courses and courses for places like, uh, LinkedIn learning and, and things like that and run masterminds, kind of, kind of the, the gamut. My last book, Entrepreneurial You, is about creating multiple revenue streams in your business. So I try to, I try to uh, live that out. But broadly speaking, the way that I talk about my work is that I try to help good, smart people and good organizations get their message heard in a crowded and noisy environment.
0: Mm-hmm. I shared that everybody feels like they have too much to do and not enough time. Do you think the issue is that people want to play the long game? But don't know how, or they know how and aren't sure how to clear the way?
2: (laughs) I I think that's that's an interesting philosophical question. I think intellectually everybody wants to do it, right? I mean, who who is like raising their hand? Oh, I wanna be a short-term thinker. You know, we we know that. We know that being a long term thinker is the way that one ought to be. And since childhood, all of us have had these messages drilled in about, you know, well, Jeff, success isn't overnight. You know, we all know that we can recite that. But the problem that I have seen is that nobody ever explains what not overnight means. We, you know, we, we, we know, okay, it's not overnight, but then we're like, is it two nights <laughs> you know or is it is it 10 is it well maybe it's like 6 months mm, you know 5 years we have no idea and no context and so ultimately for a lot of the things the important things that we want to accomplish what i have seen and this is part of my motivation for writing the long game as well is that a lot of really talented professionals give up too soon because mm. they assume that you know oh well i tried it, it didn't work you know i didn't show any results well that may have actually been really premature one of the stories that i tell in the book is about an anecdote that jeff bezos shared in the 2018 amazon letter to shareholders and he told a story about a friend of his who hired you know of all things a handstand coach for yoga and what this what this yogi said was that the average person if you ask them how long does it actually take to be able to do a handstand in yoga? Most people estimate that it's about 2 weeks give or take. When the actuality is that it takes 6 months of daily practice. And if we just think about that and you know sort of apply it to our businesses, you know these are intelligent people making what they think is a reasonable estimate and it is off not by 10% and not by 20%, it's off by a factor of 12x. And so for a lot of us we give up because we think, oh, well, you know, I tried it, it didn't work. The truth is we just may not have been doing it long enough. Mm -hmm. And so I I really wanted to help provide a framework for people to think this through so that hopefully they can persevere on the right things, jettison the wrong things and be able to accomplish more of what matters.
0: Let's clearly define what does it mean to play the long game?
2: So for me, playing the long game ultimately... Is a form of applying strategic thinking to your life and career. I am. I'm big into strategy. Um, one of the courses that I actually created for LinkedIn Learning uh, a few years ago for the last two years for 2020 and 2021 has been the number two most popular course on the entire LinkedIn Learning platform. It's been seen by more than 1.2 million people, which is which is kind of cool. But for me, what I've seen is that. Oftentimes, you know, really good professionals, we apply strategy all the time in our work. You know, that's second nature to us. Oh, well, you know, we're here's it. You know, here's our projections and here's what we're doing. But we sometimes don't do that when we're thinking about our own lives. It's really hard to turn that lens on ourselves. And so the quick way that I think about being a long term thinker is ultimately it's about making, making sometimes hard decisions today that will make everything easier tomorrow and in the future.
0: Mm, I love that. And for, for people who are familiar with the one thing, I'm going to, if you're watching this on video, I'm going to show an image, but it's it's the idea of, of what happens when you line your dominoes up over time. Back in 1983, Lauren Whitehead published a, uh, an article in the American Journal of Physics story that uh, a two-inch domino did not just knock down one of equal size, it could go 50% larger. So two knocks over three, three knocks over four and a half, By the 18th domino, it's the Leaning Tower of Pisa. By the 23rd domino, it's the Eiffel Tower. By the 31st domino, it's 3,000 feet above Mount Everest. And by the 57th domino, it reaches from the Earth to the Moon. And it's that hockey stick growth that we understand that extraordinary results. It's not like you do one thing and poof overnight. It's doing the right things consistently over time. Honestly, succeeding so slowly, it almost feels like you're failing and sticking with it to the point
2: that all of a sudden you hit this inflection point and you go hyperbolic. That is that is so right on and it's so aligned with uh, what I, what I talk about in in the long game. I mean, one other part of the inspiration Jeff is for the past 5 years I've been running this online course and community called Recognized Expert and you know, 600 plus people have been through it at this point, and so I've really gotten to see over a broad spectrum of of folks who are trying to get their their message out there. You know, they're they're trying to to get their ideas heard. What what are the obstacles? What are the places where people hit snags? And what I have really seen both in my own career, trying to you know build build up my practice in the early days, I've, I've been self employed for about 15 years, but also working with with all of these good folks is that generally it takes about 2 to 3 years to show any progress mm. almost any progress in terms of your efforts to become a recognized expert and it takes i would say on average about 5 years of consistent effort to really be able to see marked progress and so it's so easy you know you do 20 blogs and you say this isn't working why am i bothering why am i wasting my time no one cares but If you can make it through those dark times when you are in the tunnel and you are not getting positive reinforcement, you're not hearing anything, you're just hearing the echo of space, by the time you get to five years, you have built up a massive competitive moat between you and other people. It is very, Mm -hmm. very hard to surmount that. And it is exactly that exponential growth and progression and... It, it becomes you know slow, 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 and then exponential. You're exactly right.
0: This is literally staring me in the face on the back of my coffee mug, but it says, decide your habits, decide your future. What I'm hearing here, Dory, is if you want to play the long game, having that big vision of the future, working it backwards to that lead domino, that activity that if you did it consistently with the long game in mind, and
2: you f- turn it into a habit,
0: Everything else is everything
2: else. That's, that's exactly right. I mean, it's true if you are a professional that you know, wants to get better at speaking and you make the effort to go to the yeah. Toastmasters every week. And it's true for, for almost anything. I mean, in the long game, I tell the story of a guy named Luis Velasquez. And Luis was a, a college professor and he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Mm. And shortly after he was diagnosed, he and his wife... By accident, they were taking a trip to Chicago um, before, shortly before he was supposed to have surgery. And as it happened, it was the weekend of the Chicago Marathon, and he just you know sort of stumbled into it. And he saw all of these people running by, and it was very meaningful for him because a lot of the people were running as part of charity, and they were wearing you know um, t-shirts and signs about the charities, many many of them cancer charities that they were supporting. And so he announced to his wife. Next year I'm going to run this marathon. And that sounds like a pretty audacious goal for a guy who's just about to have brain surgery. And shortly after his surgery, you know, he goes back and thankfully the, the surgery is successful, but you know, he's he's not in great shape. He's just had brain surgery. And he's saying to his doctor, So when can I start training for my marathon? And the doctor literally says to him, Luis, you're gonna be lucky to walk. Like, I wouldn't, honestly, I wouldn't be thinking about this, you know, just try to focus on something that's attainable. And Luis refused to do it. He said, no, I I need to be motivated by something bigger. And so his physical therapy, instead of calling his his physical therapy, he refused to use that phrase. He called it his marathon training. And he did all the exercises. He did double the exercises because he wanted to get stronger faster. And a year later, he actually did run that marathon. And today he's healthy and he has run multiple Ironmans. So sometimes you do need a big goal and it's about the small steps to get there. That's exactly right.
0: What's a time in your life, Dory, where... Despite your best intentions, you were just so focused on the here and now, and you couldn't you couldn't even see the long game. And how'd you go about bridging the gap?
2: Oh my goodness! You know, I, I think for many of us, there are times where we have hard circumstances that make things that make things really challenging. And you know, certainly, I've seen this with other people uh, for sure. Uh, during the pandemic. There's a lot of people that I talk to that kind of beat themselves up about, you know, I wanted to do this and I wanted to do that. And, you know, I just really wasn't able to focus on it because, you know, maybe they were taking care of kids or they were, you know, they had all of these pressures of work. And I think, you know, one of the concepts that I talk about in the long game is what I call thinking in waves. Mm. And I think, you know, part of part of the intention with that is really just to extend some grace to ourselves. That... You know, we can't not be doing something forever. But also, there are times when it's really hard to be to be doing things. And and you know, life is long. And if we make a make a point to over-index on it, to rebalance the portfolio later on, it works out in the end. Um, but so for me, I mean, I think about the time around my first book launch uh, in 2013. My first book was called Reinventing You, and that was coming out. And, you know, first of all, uh, as, as you know, Jeff, the first time you're releasing a book, even if you try as hard as you can to like talk to people and understand the the process, it's a little bit of a nightmare. It's like you know, it's a fire hose. You don't know what's going to hit you. You have no idea how to be prepared for it. So I think it was a combination of being generally unprepared and also uh, I had just just before the book launch gone through this incredibly difficult breakup, which necessitated my moving states i just rented uh, an apartment with my partner and then we broke up and so then i had to move back to my old condo in the midst of trying to launch my first book and figuring all of it out and i just think you know oh my gosh there were so many there were so many dropped balls and uh, you know just just scrambling and i there's a lot of things i wish i had done better during that period but you know also i i I think this is the time where you say, okay, sometimes, sometimes we can't always uh, live up to our platonic ideals, but we also, we can get back to it. We don't want to be the dieter that has an ice cream sundae and then decides, well, all bets are off <laughs> and they, you know 17 uh, Subway sandwiches. It's, it's about getting, getting back as quickly as we can to where we want to be. I
0: know um, at least the organizations that we work with, it seems like people are usually clear. There are things that we should be doing right now that, if done consistently, allows us to play the long game. It gives us the exponential return. And they are so busy firefighting, especially since the pandemic. You know, this hybrid world, the number of meetings have gone up, the number of emails have gone up. Um, people feel like they have less of a personal life because they don't no longer have the commute back and forth. How do we go about clearing
2: the path? How do we go about actually prioritizing the things that matter? Yeah, it's such an important question. Because one of the points that I make in the long game is... It's not that it takes some huge amount of time to do strategic thinking or to be a long-term thinker. It's not like, oh, well, you have to have a strategy retreat or, oh, you need to have a sabbatical. You don't. It's, It's not about quantity of time but you do need some time because if you are scheduled to the gills so that you literally don't have a moment to breathe, there is not going to be the mental space necessary for you to be asking the right questions or even knowing what questions to ask yourself. You're gonna be all in on execution mode. So it's it's really just that question, how do you get, that little bit of space and distance so that we can be smarter about what we're doing. So ultimately, there's a, a couple of things that I would suggest. One is, I think it's actually really important to make this explicit because we don't necessarily ever tell people or train people in this, but it's, it's truly important. When you are first in the workforce, when you are you know, 22, you're just starting out, yes is almost always the right answer <laughs> because you don't know what's important, you don't know who's going to be important, you don't really know what you're interested in or what you're good at, and so yes enables you to figure that out. That's great. But if if you are still using the same criteria of, you know, oh, literally does it fit in my calendar? Okay, then I'll do it. If you're still doing that 10 or 20 or 30 years into your professional career, you're making a tremendous mistake. We have to continually tighten our criteria of what we will say yes to. Because as more people are seeking you out, you your schedule will get filled by other people's priorities. And so if we actually want to do what I think most of us intellectually do, which is come up with our own agenda of what is important to us, what is our goal, what is our focus, we need to make sure that we are actively and muscularly protecting that. And we can only do that by over time tightening the criteria of what we're saying yes to. Um, so that's number one. Oh yeah. What are examples of what you're crazy?
0: What things you say yes to?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So one additional layer that I'll that'll add on that is going back to thinking in waves. There are Time-bound priorities that I have right now. Mm. So, for instance, with my book launch, I am prioritizing. I'm i in essentially what what I'll call heads-up mode, and heads-up mode is all right. I'm out there. I am all about uh, you know talking about the book and connecting with people, and so I'm d- doing a huge amount of press activities, you know, conversations like this or interviews, um, sometimes four and five a day. So it's it's very intensive, but also. I recognize that you know that is one wave it's not a sustainable wave to do that forever because you need to be creating your own intellectual property so for now I'm saying yes to tons of uh, sort of PR conversations, but starting you know back in october after the after the book is done, I'm still going to be doing some of that, but I'm sharply curtailing it instead of for a day i'm going to be doing four a week i've already set the parameters with my assistant, and part of the reason is that I need to shift back into deep work mode. And so I'm leaving much more blank time on my calendar because I have other courses that I am going to be creating. You can't be all about execution and just, you oh, I'm going to just create work and then people will magically discover it. I mean, no, you need to promote it. But you can't also be all promotion because eventually you run out of things to talk about and you're not adding anything new to the well. So I try to Mm -hmm. balance those things out over time.
0: But I love... I mean, you said two things, promotion and creation. The balance of that depends on... It comes in waves. And what I did not hear is email, random phone calls with people like we we could list off all these 80% things that I'm sure you have the opportunity to say yes to. And it's not the 20% that's going to drive the
2: 80%. That's That's exactly right. If you do promotion and creation correctly, you you are essentially, in many ways, taking care of the networking because the right people will want to be coming to you. That's right.
0: So for, for, for those of you who are the ambitious professional listening to this, here's how you apply this. Step one, take a piece of paper and write down, what are the 20% priorities that if I just executed on those would drive 80% of my results? Are you clear on what those three what those things are? Like I can tell you for me, it's vision, growth and being an ambassador of the company. One, two, three, draw a line in the sand. Everything else is everything else. Once you have clarity on those, look at your calendar and ask the question how many hours this week are going to be invested in your 20% and how many hours are going to be spent? In the 80%. Dory, I want to talk about the consequence of not doing what we just talked about. Talk to us about what it means to
2: not go bankrupt. Yes. So ultimately, you know, we we know what the benefits are of playing the long game. Ideally, it is with, you know, it's just like it's, in, it's about investing your time the way you invest money. We know that that it compounds over time. We know that it is better to put $10 a month away starting when you're you know, 22 rather than $1,000 a month away starting when you're 50. And so similarly, it's about that small consistent effort. If we don't do it, if we fail to be long-term thinkers and really be Optimizing for the future and working backwards. What we have so often is a situation where we are we're essentially ending up in a destination that we don't want to be in. You know, if if you're okay with literally whatever, you know, great. You know, you can be a jellyfish, and the ocean is going to take you somewhere, and uh, you know, eventually you'll land. But I think most of us actually do have goals. We do have priorities about what we want our lives to look like, whether it's a particular metric of career success or the ability to be spending more time with your family, the ability to have the financial flexibility to just not worry about it, to be able to, to know that you can take care of what you need to. And it's so powerful to understand that it's not that we have to take these you know large dramatic actions where we're changing our life and risking everything. I'm not at all about... Risking everything, I want to de-risk things, and that's why so often I, I think that you know we we tend to revert to black and white thinking, um, maybe as a matter of habit, maybe honestly sometimes as an excuse to not do something. Oh, I couldn't possibly because I'd have to quit my job and blah 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 blah. I, that's that's almost never something that I recommend. You know, just precipitously making a move. It's about Small investments. It's about, you know, one of the concepts I talk about in the long game is applying uh, 20% time, which is something that Google uh, popularized for its workforce. You know, spend 20% of your time on something experimental, some, you know, some growth area, some growth edge, so that you are continuing to learn, so that you're ready for the future and you can maneuver into something if you want. Small things like that are incredibly powerful for the long term. And failing to do it means that you're you're putting yourself in the, a riskier position and the chances are higher that you're not going to end up in that place you want.
0: Yeah. I and mean, when I think about not going bankrupt emotionally, I see so many people heading that direction. It's also, another word for that is burnout. They are just working so long, so hard. They are on the hamster wheel, doing things that don't actually fulfill them, that are not aligned with their core values. And they wake up one day at a real crisis. A real, real breaking point. You, you, you give an alternative, which is to build a life portfolio of big experiences. What does that mean?
2: Yeah. Well, again, if we, if we go back to the investing metaphor, pretty much everyone... You know, if you know one thing about investing you know that it is not a good idea to put all your money in one thing you know don't just buy one stock people you know they buy a, a, a basket of investments because some things are going to be really successful some things are not but over time it it all evens out uh, because you have um, you've diversified your risks and so similarly in terms of our own lives I think we sometimes, Without even really thinking about it or questioning it, put all our chips in one place, and you know we we want to have the equivalent of both bonds and you know SpaceX stock. And so, what is what does that look like? Well, ultimately, as we're diversifying our portfolio of experiences, I mean, part of it, of course, I'm a big fan, and, and I talked a lot about this in my book Entrepreneurial You of Actually, literally, even if you have a, a steady day job, um, just coming up with some kind of a, a sideline you know some sort of a you know small a small thing that you can be doing coaching or consulting or you know whatever. In Entrepreneurial U, I profiled a a guy, a fellow podcaster uh, named Pat Flynn, who Mm. he now has a very successful podcast and blog called Smart Passive Income. But he got his start because he was an architecture employee in in 2008, which was not a great time to be in the architecture industry. Um, When the financial crisis came, no one wanted to build. And he got laid off, which could have been really devastating. But he had actually started almost inadvertently, a sideline before that. He had been studying for a green building exam. And he basically put his study notes up on a website, mostly as just a tool for himself to study more effectively. But he figured, oh, maybe some other people can benefit from this. And it turned out it became kind of popular with you know search engine optimization. Like A lot of people found it. And he thought, huh. I wonder if I could make just a little bit of side money if I took all of these blog posts and I put it into a PDF and I sold the PDF. I mean, that's, that's literally all he did. This was not fancy. And anyway, he was selling this PDF and it turned out that within a few months, it became so popular. He was literally earning more money from selling his guidebook for the green building exam than he was at his job. And so it saved him when he got laid off and mostly, what I want for all of us is just more options, more security, and we can do that in a financial sense. We can also do it in an emotional sense. Um, by you know, there's a concept I talk about in the long game called "optimize for interesting," and uh, this was just a, a piece of advice that uh, that I learned along the way, uh, which is whenever you have a choice of what to do, choose the more interesting option, and it can lead you to some really amazing places. I love that.
0: Let's get tactical about what it looks like to create the white space because I wish we could give people more time. We can't do that. What we can do is hold up a mirror, help them identify how they're actually doing, if their calendar is reflective of their goals or not, and shepherd them on a path to actually making that happen. What does it look like to create the white space and how do you actually start saying no?
2: Yeah, this is this is so challenging because you know for for all the reasons, right? If if you are a good person, which you know I think pretty much all your listeners are, you don't want to disappoint people, you don't want to let someone down, you don't want to offend them, and over time. that that adds up, and also, there, you know, you might be saying in the back of your mind, oh, well, I don't really want to do that, but you know, I, I guess, like in the future, I might need a favor, or you know, whatever. You're sort of thinking about all these things, like, oh, I guess I should do it, and so there's a lot mitigating against saying no. No is harder in the moment, but it is often really necessary over time in terms of what we were talking about earlier, which is tightening our criteria. So I'll say a couple of things. The first is if it is somebody coming to you that you really feel like, okay, I I can't literally totally say no. I am a big fan of what I will call a mitigation strategy here. Um, We often have cultural defaults of what people are asking for. Oh, you know, hey, Jeff, can I buy you lunch? right and it sounds very innocuous you know they they feel like they're doing a nice thing like oh i'll i'll buy your meal but the truth is a lunch in your head you might think oh that's an that's an hour it's never an hour <laughs> you know they're 15 minutes late uh the, you know the service is slow okay the meal is an hour and a half it took you each you know like a half an hour to get there you've nearly spent half a day doing this and so oftentimes if you want to say yes to someone you don't have to accept the form in which the query is posited. You might, you know, oh, I might ask you for lunch. You could say, oh my gosh, story, I would so love to do it. I'm slammed right now, but it sounds like you're looking for some advice. How about we hop on a call? That way you have actually just bought yourself 90 minutes because instead mm. of the two hour lunch that we would have had, it's a 30 minute call. Even mm. small things like that. How do you downgrade the request? Or if I say, oh, hey, Jeff, can we hop on a call? Cause I need a blah, blah, blah. Again, if it's not a relationship that is a top priority relationship, you could say, "Oh wow, Dory, I'd really love to help you. I I'm just jam packed uh, for a call right now, but if you can email me your you know a few questions that you have about that, I'd be glad to get back to you." And then all of a sudden, the thirty minutes is now maybe five minutes that you can reply to by email. And oh, guess what? you can archive that email. And if other people have similar questions in the future, you will have that saved and can use that text again. So there's some small ways around the edges that you can actually really make a a big difference in terms of actually um, Mm -hmm. preserving your own time.
0: A few things stand out to me. One is saying yes on your terms. Just because they ask for it in a certain way doesn't mean that that's the way that you have to say yes to because what they really want may be advice. How do you give it to them in a way that actually aligns with your priorities? I was listening, we just did a podcast recently with Gary Keller and he was talking about people ask him for time or money all the time. And he says, their priorities aren't my priorities. And their priorities have to match my priorities in order for it to be a yes.
2: Amen to that. I I actually did a really interesting experiment a couple of years ago where I wanted to, really understand what was behind my use of time. And so I actually had two facets to this. One was I I did a time tracking study where for a month I actually tracked, I mean, this was very... Kind of boring and methodical, but it was it was useful. I tracked my time in fifteen minute increments throughout the entirety of a month to see how I was spending my time. That was one piece of it. The second piece was I actually chronicled every email that I received over the course of uh, of a month long period to try to understand well, what you know what are these like? Okay, you know this one's a newsletter. Okay, fine. Um, this but you know this one is a person asking for coffee. This one is a person asking for advice. Um, this one is a client. With a question, you know. So I, I uh, categorized all of them, and what I realized, Jeff, in, in on an average week, I was getting seventy three requests. I was getting ten different requests per day from uh, from people for for all kinds of things, you know. And you know, some of them were things I was glad to do. You know, a colleague wanted me to endorse their book, or you know, people wanted to meet for coffee or drinks or whatever it is, but. When you understand that 10 people a day are asking for things, if your default is almost always yes, you know, if, if your default is, oh, well, I'll do it unless I physically can't because I'm going to be in Spain or something like that, you are going to be pulled in a million directions. It's going to be very, very difficult to accomplish your own agenda.
0: I'm putting myself in your shoes, the listener. What I hope. That you're getting at this point are a few things. Path to getting everything you want starts by getting one thing at a time. So think big, go small. Trust the dominoes will fall. We all have the same 24 hours in a day, but the difference between you and the person you can become is the person you can become is clear on that vision, is clear on the lead domino that they can knock down and they prioritize it. They make everything else flow around it. Just like putting the big boulder in the stream, when the water hits it, it goes around it. So was there ever a time in your life where you really struggled? You felt bad. You knew you should say no, but you struggled to. And how did you shift your mindset for you to get comfortable saying it?
2: Oh, for sure. I think we've all been there, Jeff. In fact, one story that I tell in the long game is about a really painful thing that I said no to. I struggled for quite a while with this one, which is that I was invited to give a talk in the Caribbean I had a friend reach out, and she was involved with some association, and they wanted to invite me to be the keynote speaker at this Caribbean retreat they were having. I mean, just like yes. a lot of things, yes. sound very good, yes. And so I, you know, my immediate response, you know, in my head was like, "Oh my gosh, yes, yes, that sounds so fun." But I, I just noticed that there was a piece of me that didn't feel a hundred percent good about it. And so I just tried to trace it back. I'm like, wait, what's, you know, what am I feeling here? What's going on? And what I realized is oftentimes when it comes to understanding what we should say no to, there's a few questions that we should all be asking ourselves. And I applied this lens to the Caribbean conference. And one of them is what is the, what is the total cost you know, in, terms of, in terms of time? This is kind of unpacking like, oh, okay, the lunch actually might be a three-hour lunch in total. So that's a lot of time. Similarly, this Caribbean trip, it, it would have been great, but it would have basically taken my whole week. So that actually was a lot of time. Number two is what is the physical and emotional cost? That's actually mm-hmm. something we, we don't necessarily talk about a lot. As it happened, I could have done it. My calendar was open. But I would have been, I, this was pre COVID. I was on the road the entirety of the week before, and I was on the road the entirety of the week after. And I thought, am I actually going to feel good? Am I going to be able to enjoy this if I'm traveling for three consecutive weeks? I'm going to have to be, you know, racing around and, and, you know, packing and unpacking my suitcase in these long flights with a sore back and jet lag. And I realized that might not be so fun. And Another question that we often neglect is, what is the opportunity cost? Is this what I would have chosen in the entire universe? So often we make it black or white. Oh, well, can I do this or can I not do this? Well, how about, should I be doing this or should I literally be doing anything else in the universe that might also take five days? That's the question we should be asking. And then the final one is, would I feel bad in a year if I didn't do this? Because a lot of things, if you, if you zoom out in time, you're going to forget about it. Oh, you can't make your friends, you know, football party, whatever. There's going to be more. You have to really understand in a year, how will this look and how will this feel? To me. Mm. Something Jay shared with me when I was first starting this company. My schedule was clean.
0: There was nothing on it. I could, I could say yes to whatever. And I started saying yes to things that were attractive in the short run that I knew were not sustainable in the long run. And he looked at me and he said, I would really challenge you to reconsider. Just because you can say yes today doesn't mean you should say yes today. Because it's not going to be sustainable and eventually your your schedule is going to get busy enough that maintaining these things will actually become a problem. And maintenance was a thief that got cut from the book. It's like, oh, well, I just, I'm just going to have to mow the lawn. Well, I'm just going to have to water the plants every day. Well, I'm just going to have to feed the fish every day. Like these little things that on their own isolated don't seem, they seem insignificant, but you start to stack them up over time. It can become a massive, massive burden. I did not listen to him and life ended up teaching me the lesson. I now, when you said, what's the opportunity cost? That is how I view things on my calendar now. If I say yes to this, what could I hypothetically say no to? And where am I going to get the biggest ROI? That's right. Absolutely. Hmm. Dory, let's fly up to 10,000 feet. I think people, if they're still listening to this, are pretty bought into the idea that, yes, I need to start taking, playing the long game. What's one thing they can do to begin the journey?
2: ultimately when it comes to beginning the path toward playing the long game of course a really good first step which we've been talking about is uh, creating white space and carving that out so we can begin to to ask those questions mm-hmm. but i would say beyond that jeff one of the things that we really need to recognize is and this is this is the place where a lot of people fall short is almost inevitably there are going to be Setbacks. There are going to be detours, and the path is not going to look precisely the way we want. That's that's the thing about the long game. If if the path really is legitimately long, (laughs) there is statistically much more chance that things will not look exactly the way that we are hypothesizing and we can't let that be a place where we fall off course and say oh i guess i guess i'm not good enough i guess it just didn't work for me i tell the story in the long game about a woman who uh was she's a, you know a very successful professional and she was writing for this publication a business publication for free you know she'd been doing it for 6 months and her editor two years out of college this editor Said to her after six months and 35 free articles that they were firing her from her free job because they had decided she wasn't creative enough. I mean, you know, so ridiculous, so demoralizing. And so this woman did exactly the right thing, which is that she started reaching out to friends and saying, Well, you know, has this happened to you? What would you do? And one person that she talked to actually said, Oh, yeah, that happened to me. And so um, the the woman, this great executive she named Anne Sugar, she said to her friend, she said, "Well, what did you do?" And the woman said, "Oh, well, I never wrote again." And for Anne, that was the moment that everything clicked, and she said, "Okay, that's not going to be me. I'm going to be the opposite of that." And within a couple of months, she was back on the horse. She had reached out with the help of connections to another equally prestigious business publication, which she continues to write for to this day. But I, I think a lot of us, you know, it's so easy to accept external judgments. And oftentimes, frankly, people are wrong or they just have a different preference or a different opinion. And so surrounding surrounding ourselves with thoughtful people um, who can help guide us and uh, just really understanding that we need to plan for, for detours. We need to plan for the fact that it's not going to look exactly the way that we imagine and it's probably going to take longer than we want. But if we keep going, we are able to really put a huge distance between, between us and everybody else because most people are not willing to make those sacrifices. Dory, where can people learn more about you and the long game? Jeff, thank you so much. Uh, the book is The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. Uh, they can check it out and get it at all the typical book places. And uh, they can learn more if, if folks are interested in applying the principles of long-term thinking in their own lives. I have a free self-assessment uh, and it's at doryclarkcom slash the long game.
0: Well, there you have it, our conversation with Dory Clark about the long game. What really stands out to me, it's, I've said the quote a few times, the path to getting everything you want starts by getting one thing at a time. Think big, go small, trust the dominoes will fall. Problem is, most people, their calendars, it looks like a game of Tetris. It is just a bunch of blocks fit together. Hopefully, you have time to grab a bite to eat or hit the restroom. You got to change that. That's not sustainable. We challenge you to look at your calendar this week or next week and identify one thing that is not a 20% priority that's gonna drive 80% of your results, cancel it. Take that time back and keep it for yourself. Take that time to sit down with a pen and paper, to ask yourself a big question, to search for the answer. Am I, what would it take for me to be fulfilled in my career? What can I do? How might I create more white space in my days? What are the things that I should be doing today to play the long game that I'm not doing? And what's one thing I can do differently? I just gave you three. Pick one. That alone would be a massive investment of your time. And for those of you in a corporate setting, we have to take a look at our teams and recognize, are they spending their time or are they investing it? And the only way they can start investing it is when they're clear on the priorities of the organization and they're clear on how what they do on a weekly basis lines up with that. If you'd like to have a conversation where we can show you a simple path to make that happen, head on over to the one thing.com. That's the one thing with the number one in the URL, the one thing.com, and you can request a consultation. If this episode has brought value to you, think of somebody you know who needs to hear it, share it with them and share Dory's book with them. If you are new to the show, click the subscribe button so all future episodes are automatically downloaded to your device of choice. And while you're at it, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It helps us reach more people, which allows us to help them better invest their time so they can achieve extraordinary results. I'm your host Jeff Woods. We look forward to being with you in the next episode.